Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we look at the top digital trends of 2020 from the fun to the profound. Each year, folklore students at Utah State University track digital trends. Then they meet at the end of the year to prepare a ballot that goes out to a national panel of experts in digital folklore, which selects the winning trend. And top results for 2020 include hashtag Brianna Taylor, hashtag George Floyd, as well as the meme, how it started, how it's going, how it ended, and gender reveal presidential election and Zoom meetings memes. Our guests are the co-directors of uh, USU Digital Folklore Project, USU professors Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil. We'd love to hear your candidate for top digital trend of the year. You can email us to upraxis at gmail.com. So we welcome in uh, Jeannie Thomas. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning. And Lynn McNeil, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Good to, good to have you. Uh, listeners will note one difference from uh, what we usually do yearly. Uh, usually you're in studio. but uh, So one difference from this, uh, what a year it was, right, 2020? Um, <laughs> that difference showed up really strongly in our digital trend of the year, too. So we are in keeping with everything else that has happened in 2020. Yeah. So um, let me have you address this right off the, 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 the top. Uh, people might be thinking, what are you doing, Access Utah? Uh, the, the, the House Democrats are about to impeach the president for the second time. Uh, <laughs> last week we just had storming of the Capitol. What are you doing talking about folklore? But I, I think, uh, you know, folklore does reflect what's going on. Yeah, um, for sure, Tom. And, and in fact, um, you know, one of the things that will show up in the digital trends for 2021 are all the memes about the storming of the Capitol. Um, so it's a way of, of, of tracking culture from a kind of grassroots or people's view. We try to look at the, at the memes that are really grassroots, that really come from ordinary people, and how they're seeing the world and historical events around them. So what happens is we pick up um, more historical, profound events, and then just more fun, lighthearted stuff. And um, I think you need both. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the, the, this this uh, the digital trend. You do have two categories, right, Lynn McNeil? Yes, we have what we call um, social issues, and then also serious fun. And we call it serious fun because one of the things that that stood out immediately to us was that even the fun stuff, the stuff that's letting us, you know, let off steam or laugh at you know to the absurdities of life, also usually have some really profound messages going on in them at the same time. And I think that's something that we're seeing right now. I know that everyone was sort of braced for this, you know, big catharsis of 2020 ending. And we got, what, barely not even a week <laughs> into 2021, and it just escalates even further. And, and folklore is the way that we collectively deal with and and both reflect and shape our realities to each other and for each other and the level of of new fodder that we have for doing that is just building off of 2020 i think that we're going to continue to see some some unprecedented folkloric expression as well as unprecedented historic and cultural moments gene thomas you mentioned that uh, i guess this is a prediction um We'll have a lot of storming the uh, the capital. I don't know memes and 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 such. Are we already seeing some? Oh, tons, 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 tons. Especially with the guy with the horns who thinks he's too sexy for his shirt. He appears in a lot of them because he's so visually traumatic, and they're not terribly complimentary. Um, you know, they're um, 
anyway, so yes, we're seeing them. It's definitely being documented yeah. and, and mocked. Well, and this this is an illustration. Uh, you know, on the one hand, you might say, hey, this just happened last week. <laughs> and it's completely serious, right? Uh, it, it's it's, yes. it's mm-hmm. troubling. It's shocking. It's it all any adjective you want to use. But that's where people go, right? The, the meme, and that's part of how we process mm-hmm. this, right? Well, the other thing I want oh, to yes, mention absolutely. about that that's kind of interesting that the digital response is there's also been a lot of people, just civilians, helping authorities identify the people in the insurrection. Because, you know, um, they were storming the building, it was serious, they had flex cuffs, and yet, um, as many of us do, they were also the heroes in, literally, in their own movies, because they were filming themselves and putting themselves online. And so then ordinary citizens say, hey, this is wrong, I have some tech tools, I can help here. So that's been an interesting thing that I've been watching develop in response to that, and there's been a lot of people get involved with that um, facial recognition. Interesting, uh, um, Lynn McNeil, your your reaction to this? What's what's been going on? The kind of the digital yeah. aftermath of this? Yes, and and I think that that one of the things we're seeing is the power of the grassroots. I mean, as as Jeannie has been saying, everyday people are are forging their own narratives here, whatever side of this conflict or this particular issue they're on. And we're seeing the value of all of these sort of boots on the ground on all different sides of this. And I think that one of the one of the most telling things that has come out of this is we've witnessed a year of protests. And that's not just the way that everyday people express themselves, but also the way that our institutions respond to those protests, or in this case, riots. And a comparison of that has been something that's emerging here. I mean, our, I don't want to, you know, reveal anything too soon, but but our runner-up for the digital trend of the year this year um, was a continuation of our first ever digital trend of the year, which was Black Lives Matter. And just, we see the ongoing relevance of that social issue six years later, you know, in, in the 20. 20 digital trend of the year. And we're seeing that showing up as a counterpoint to what happened at the Capitol that people are saying, hey, wait a minute, where where was that level of reaction? Where, you know, here's what these Black Lives Matter protesters and, and people like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were facing. And here's some guy in horns, topless, carrying the, the speaker's podium out of the Capitol. You know, why is no one kneeling on his neck? And I think that that is this incredible poignancy that that people immediately gravitated to, and we have this, this, you know, collection of digital folklore at hand to use to articulate that discrepancy. We have these images and these words and these these actions that people have taken, and people are not letting that pass. People are are stopping and saying, "Hold up, we need to point this out." Uh, before we go to the digital trends of uh, 2020, uh, I'll start with uh, with uh, Lynn McNeil on this one. Um, are, are there some things that just don't tend to lend themselves to digital folklore? Uh, you know, um, it seems like just about anything would. I'm thinking about, uh, uh, you know, you know, storming the, of the, uh, of the, uh, Capitol we talked about. Uh, what about the impeachment that's, looks like it's coming up? Yeah. You know, I, I always think that pretty much if it's on people's minds and people have something they want to say about it, they're going to make folklore about it. And they might make, you know, folklore that takes a more 
you know, facetious or, or satirical tone, or they might make folklore that takes a really, really um, serious, memorializing, you know, sort of fundamental tone on these things. I don't think there's anything that people won't make folklore about, but there are things, and we've seen it in the past with extreme um, societal disasters, especially natural disasters, events like September 11th, where there seems to be a pause in people's sense of, hey, wait a minute, are we allowed to talk about this? Are we allowed to joke about this? Are we allowed to to play with this idea? And while our institutions, I'm, I'm sure some people remember how Saturday Night Live held off after September 11th. Well, the folk don't hold off. Everyday people begin processing and expressing themselves almost immediately. And I think that's something that we, we see here as well. Uh, Gene Thomas, what do you think about this? Uh, any, I, I guess natural disasters, 9-11, th- those are some things where people hold off a little bit. Yeah, well, I think the more um, intellectual and emotional distance you have from an issue, uh, the <clears throat> the more likely you're not going to hold off because it, you know, you just you you can just find the humor in it, and you have to have a certain amount of distance to find the humor. The closer you are to that, um, the less you are, the less likely you are to joke about it. Um, that doesn't mean that you won't produce folklore that's a little more serious. Like after 9-11, people did actually even start uh, sharing images. Uh, but they were often serious. You know, here's Satan's face in the clouds coming from the Twin Towers or something like that. Um, so people weren't joking about it in the way that memes often are playful about it because it, we all felt like we were Americans and we all felt implicated there. Um, it's interesting to watch this in comparison because we're so divided as a country right now, and also because um, it was such a mixed group of people, some of them visually so unusual, like the guy with horns. And some of it just gut-wrenching, awful, like the Confederate flag, which has never been in the Capitol being in the Capitol, or, or you know, just mm-hmm. and the horrible violence there. And, and, you know, over the weekend we're seeing more and more images of that. So um, it's just an incredibly complex mixed bag of things, and people on the Internet are trying to process it and sort it out. And I will say, you know, this is a moment. The Internet is also culpable in this. There's just no doubt about it. I mean, all this, Mm -hmm. all this, they let violence spread, and they're now saying, oh, we we let it go too far. And you see this with new media, where you're trying to figure out what the limits are. Are we just an incredibly passive platform where anything goes, or are we a publisher? And because the Internet is still relatively young, we're trying to work through those answers in real time. Uh, So uh, Lynn McNeil, uh, following up on that, um, the the president being kicked off Twitter and Facebook, because that's showing showing some limits. Obviously, a huge thing, and you know, this is. I think what Jeannie's saying is 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 absolutely spot on. One of the things that the folklore of this has shown us is that divide in our country. I mean, the idea of echo chambers that people, you know, are are cloistered in their own little spaces online um, is highlighted by the fact that oftentimes, whatever party or whatever stance someone affiliates with, they have absolutely no idea what the folklore of the other side is. People are simply not seeing the the legends, the folk art, the, the jokes, the beliefs that are coming from the other side, and so it leads to this sort of unawareness. Um, 
And the way that we get ourselves into these echo chambers is through social media. And the way that a lot of this is promoted is through social media and this denial um, of the highest office in our country of access to that social media, I think is an incredibly, incredibly significant message that that's being sent here. Jeannie Thomas, you want to say anything about that? About the about, about the president, uh, you know, some of these companies, uh, I guess, deciding, okay, <laughs> here's the limit, right? We're, we're kicking the president off. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, do I want to be associated with an insurrection? Maybe not, you know? So I think that's probably okay. <laughs> I mean, they're private businesses. They can make these calls, and they always have had that power. It's just trying to figure out, okay, what are people going to do with it? Um, you know, uh, our media mm-hmm. reflects in many ways who we are. And if it goes too far, we have to stand up and say, hey, this has gone too far. And um, with, a, with, a, with something like the Internet, where it can spread so fast. I mean, um, the research shows clearly that lies spread faster than the truth, and they are much easier to monetize. Huge problem. What do we do about it? Well, yes. <laughs> What? So, um, Lynn McNeil, you're going to have the answer for us. What do we do about that? <laughs> oh, my goodness, no. I, I wish I did. If I did, I'd probably, you know, be a lot more successful. Um, no, I, I don't know that. I mean, I hope that over time that's the question that we will answer. I mean, obviously, one of the things that's happened here is how quickly this technology um, has developed and how rapidly it became a core central part of how so much of our contemporary communication takes place and that's not just on that folk level the grassroots level but even on the official level we you know have experienced our first president who uses twitter social media as a main mode of communication with his constituents and that is a reality that we wouldn't even have been able to come contemplate 20 years ago i mean within many of our lifetimes that sentence of the president of the united states um you know using Twitter as a means to communicate is something that wouldn't even have made sense within recent history. So we have not had a long time to get used to this sort of idea. So I have hope that in the future we will understand better what it is that we're supposed to do about this. But in the meantime, I think that listening to the voices of everyday people, the people who are enmeshed in this, the people living in this country experiencing all of this, is one of the most powerful things we can do, take seriously everyday people on all fronts, the, the people committing acts of treason and the people trying to fight acts of treason. Um, I think that it is a good time to say, let's make sure that we're not letting certain voices slip through the cracks and, and only privileging others. Well, let's, let's, Tom, yes, go ahead. Can I jump in there on that uh, one? Yeah, because definitely. I think, um, oddly enough, we can look to maybe the um, advent of the printing press, go all the way back and look mm-hmm. at a new technology and see how people handled it then. Um, I, I have been writing about conspiracy theories of late, so I've been reading about this stuff, and I was reading about a uh, conspiracy theory that's been around for hundred, hundreds of years. It's in the QAnon stuff. It's the blood libel, which is a nasty thing that says Jews are bad, and they do these horrible things, and it's led, um, and all the cases of it, Jews haven't done anything historically. We can see that, but what it's led to is them being killed, them being driven out of towns historically all over Europe, just all this all this violence and murder done against them. And when the historians have looked at it, they found 
that what happened was it really got going after books started be, being published that carried this legend and conspiracy theory. So what you read makes a big difference. This was a new technology then, so it's kind of like, whoa, we can just print everything. And then people were like, no, you know, we've got to stop printing these things. We've got to, we can't print lies. You know, we've got to start putting some checks. And when people started putting the checks in place, then it got better. It saved people's lives. So I think it's about figuring out what are the checks and how can we use those to say, to help people. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break and we come back. Uh, we'll, uh, We'll jump from 2021 back to 2020 and look at the top uh, digital trends of uh, 2020. We're talking with uh, Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil from the USU English de- uh, Department, and uh, they are co-directors of the USU Digital Folklore Project, which puts out this uh, this list of top digital trends. More following this. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Silicon Slopes Magazine, focused on Utah tech and startup industries, supporting good causes that affect us all. Information about weekly town hall meetings or advertising in the magazine at siliconslopesmagazine.com, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Support also comes from In Utah, working to slow the spread of coronavirus while supporting locally owned businesses providing food, goods, and services safely in Utah. In the middle of journalism school, Chris Harlan Dunaway thought to himself, I had always dreamt of racing my bike in Europe. So he moved to Belgium, started racing and reporting. And so I became obsessed with finding the oldest people in the villages nearby. What he uncovered was a World War II American war crime we know almost nothing about. On the next Reveal. Monday at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're taking a look at the top digital trends of 2020. This is put out yearly by the USU Digital Folklore Project, and we're talking with the co-directors Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil from USU English Department. Uh, so uh, um, I'd like to start with Zoom, if I could. Uh, Jeannie Thomas, uh, you, you, I guess we could have predicted that there'd be Zoom memes and Zoom videos and, you know, making fun of uh, all this thing that we've gone through with Zoom. For sure. And we're all probably Zoomed out. Um, so that's going to show up in there and we're going to um, we're going to mock that. We're going to mock all the all the cats wandering across people's cat or keyboards and and um, all the tech glitches that you go through. I mean, we recognize the patterns and, and we've done it so much that we're going to play with it. It's part of many people's everyday lives. I also think this is um, another angle. This one is it's a little bit about privilege, too, because people who are, are sick of Zoom are usually the people who are fortunate enough to work from home. So I, I think that that kind of is baked into this. It reveals that uh, privilege of, of part of our culture. Uh, Jeannie Thomas, you sent me a, a video, the Zoom song, Brady Bunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about so, that. So, pe- so people say the Brady Bunch have been using Zoom since 1969 because <laughs> it's all the squares and all the heads looking at each other, and and then the song goes on to parody the, the kitties and the, and the tech glitches and, and everything else to the tune of the Brady Bunch song. 
Yeah. Uh, Lynn McNeil. Which, uh, you know, yeah, I, go ahead. I just, I want to jump in and say, I love this so much. It, it It's just a, a, a perfect setup of that because the Brady Bunch theme song has been adopted as a folk song since that show has been on television. I grew up riding a school bus singing various, you know, the, the original version as well as different parody versions of the Brady Bunch theme song. And when I saw that, that how perfectly it fit with Zoom and, and to make that sort of be the origination of this parody. It was sort of like, ah, oh, yes, you know, this is the, the final apex, the culmination of the Brady Bunch folk song parody. This is what we were all waiting for. <laughs> um, Lynn McNeil, what, uh, what would you like to highlight next from the list? Well, you know, the, the ballot entry, this, this is a common thing that happens every year, not just in 2020, is that the members of the research team have sort of their favorite, their beloved trend that, you know, you know, will volunteer. I'm going to write the ballot entry for this one. I really want to see it win. And this year, for me, that was the level up challenge with your pets during quarantine. This was a really big trend on TikTok, a video platform of social media. And to me, it just speaks to and perfectly encapsulates what life was like in the spring as we're all adjusting to this new national quarantine and lockdown. It started in March, and it features people who are stuck at home um, creating basically obstacle courses for their pets out of toilet paper. So we see summed up in this idea, one, people are at home, two, people are spending way more time with their family members and their pets, and three, people are hoarding toilet paper. What are we going to do with this combination of bizarre situations? We are going to build higher and higher walls out of toilet paper and make our pets jump over them and film them as they do it. And it just took off when it started. Um, In the spring, it just clicked with everyone. This is fun. This is a trend I can jump on. And it's a way of articulating the stressors I'm experiencing and just the utter bizarreness of, of where this year has gone off the rails in a way that is that is symbolic of all of that, but also really charming and really fun and really creative. I guess the other factor here is a relatively new platform, TikTok, right? Yes, indeed. And it, it's a platform that lets people fairly straightforwardly, not just make videos, but edit them as well and add in text and images and soundtracks so that we can get good songs playing in the background. We can, you know, mark our different levels. Level one, one roll of toilet paper rolls. Level level two, it's gotten one row higher. Level three, one higher. And of course, almost everyone's video ends with the wall of toilet paper falling down, the pets breaking through, not being able to make it over. And we see then just a lot of playing with this, you know, people using, you know, different kinds of pets. It's mostly cats and dogs, but we see birds, we see ferrets. You know, we, we really get to see that, that thing that folklore does, which is allow people to express their individuality and their uniqueness through a sort of shared traditional backing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeannie Thomas, what do you want to highlight next? Um, I like to highlight the corners of the Internet where we go to when we need a break from um, all the carnage and conflict that we're seeing. And um, one of the ones that was on our list was the uh, guy, and he's skateboarding and um, listening to mm. Fleetwood Mac's dream, dreams, and um, he's just vibing and chilling while he's skateboarding and drinking ocean spray cranberry juice. Um I love that one because it lays down such a relaxing vibe. 
And um, I want to point out that there are a lot of videos that do this, that, and they often use music to do this. So we go there when we just need a break, and we just want to feel, feel relaxed or good about stuff or, or lifted up. And I also like that one because it's such a great story, and it's, it's fairly close to home. Um, and there's a kind of a fairy tale quality to it, I think. So this guy doesn't have a lot of money, lives in a trailer in his brother's back backyard without running water, works at a potato processing plant in Idaho Falls. He has this old truck. It breaks down on his way to work. He doesn't want to be late to work, so he grabs his skateboard and jumps out and films the video. It's TikTok video. Um, he's been doing, you know, TikTok videos, and he, he's like, ah, um, I think I'm not skating fast enough, and I don't think it's good enough for TikTok. But like two minutes before he clocks in, he just goes, oh, what the heck, and shoots it out, and it blows up and becomes huge. Um, so that Mick Fleetwood does a parody of it. Everybody was doing parodies of it. One of my favorites was there was one of a wine mom on the skateboard with a giant martini glass to the um, Dreams song. Um, and ultimately, Ocean Spray ends up buying him a nice, shiny red pickup truck full of their products. <laughs> oh, so great. it kind of had this magical quality where this guy who's just struggling to get by, which, you know, that's kind of how 2020 was for so many of us. What a struggle. But, you know, he's got some, he's got some grit, he's got some chill, and um, then it really goes viral, and he... Um, he ends up better off because of it, which is a nice story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's from Idaho? Mm-hmm. That, that was one Idaho of the... Falls. Yeah. That was one of the trends where I feel like we really saw people, you know, getting their creative juices going. That, that was not a pun on purpose with Ocean Spray Juice. <laughs> um, but really just getting creative with how they adapted this. I mean, it's such a random set of features that make this meme. I mean, he's skateboarding, he's hanging onto the back of a truck, he's drinking something, and there's this iconic song playing. And just the different ways that people found to do this, one of my favorite developments of this is someone who's dressed as Donald Trump um, hanging onto the back of a truck and drinking Clorox bleach. And just all of the, the different cultural things you have to understand to make sense of that image really speaks to how 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 poignantly articulate some of these memes can end up being mm. uh so lynn mcneil what what's what would you choose next to highlight man you know one of the ones that just and and i think it was we were at a we were overwhelmed not just by options which certainly we always are every year but by really really meaningful things that that talk to different parts of 2020. And one of the things I think that speaks to the sort of catastrophic nature of 2020, but takes a different angle on it, is um, the gender reveal meme. So gender reveal parties certainly have been around for a long time. This is where people decide to either they're learning it themselves or they're revealing it to loved ones, the gender of um, a baby who will be born soon. And people do this by slicing into a cake and it's perhaps pink or blue on the inside. Um, or, you know, people pop balloons and pink or blue confetti comes out. And this has been a longstanding 
tradition for a while. Um, but it's been complicated recently by people sort of talking about the essentialism of, of determining gender identities before a child has even been born, that the only options are pink or blue. So we start to see reaction memes where people cut into a cake and it's a layered cake of rainbows. So sort of expressing a, an acceptance of LGBTQ identity and things like that. But the gender reveal memes took a major, major turn in 2020 when a gender reveal party in California that involved shooting, and now I can't remember if it was balloons or what it was that burst open to reveal the gender, sparked a wildfire that burned tens of thousands of acres of California. So suddenly this thing that might be more of a social commentary turns into a natural disaster. And of course, climate change in the poor states of California and Oregon, um, which spent much of 2020 on fire. Uh, uh, another common meme was people posting pictures of the sky from the West Coast and it just looking truly apocalyptic, red, smoky, sometimes a sort of frightening orange-gray color. Um, and tying all of that to this desire that that some people clearly have to to focus on the the eventual gender of their children became a really really complicated and really expressive form of folklore this year mm. so uh, just to jump on to that tom um yes that was actually the official name was the el dorado fire and it lasted from september yeah. to november it was horrible a firefighter was killed during that it was done by one of those smoke general those those blue or pink smoke kind of bomb like things are very popular and that's what got it going and um they actually people actually started calling it the gender reveal fire and the memes on yeah. that really critique kind of the excesses we've gone to with that um so there'll be like a, a picture of a nuclear bomb, only it'll be all blue smoke, and it'll be like, Americans be like, it's a boy, you know, making fun of how destructive we've become with our need to do this. Um, my favorite one is a picture of Smokey the Bear with his shovel, and it says, only you can prevent gender reveal parties. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing and crying at the same time here. Um, yeah. The uh, the other thing that you know occurs to me, um, rec some of these are recent phenomenon and become uh, and and apply pressure, right? So that a, a couple feels pressure, you, we got to have a gender reveal party. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tradition demands a lot of us, and and the the choice to engage in a tradition, the choice to engage in it and subvert it by by changing the outcome that people are expecting, um, or the choice to avoid it altogether is something significant as well. You know, I have a lot of students in folklore classes who sort of defiantly say, like, we don't do anything traditional in my family at Thanksgiving. Um, and it turns out, of course, that what they've done is is have their own, what they see as a subversive tradition, where, you know, we consistently make a point to not do the things we're expected to do on this day, which is, of course, still being in conversation with that tradition, and that's an incredibly meaningful thing and action for that family to take. So we see that all the time in folklore. It's not simply jumping on the bandwagon of a custom or a tradition or even a hashtag that is what's meaningful. It's the entire nuanced, complex conversation around that tradition where we really start to see the depth of, of the significance of these things. Hmm. Now, I'm sure there were memes that came out of the presidential election, and I, I, I think, you know, at least one or two of these made your list. Uh, Jeannie, do you want to talk about that? 
Yeah, um, honestly, those were the ones where I was like, oh, man, I want the escapist memes. But yes, obviously, that was a big theme, and it did end up on our list. Um, so mainly, they they focused around, they focused more, way more around Trump, um, for example, showing him um, on the golden escalator in 2015, and then flashing to Four Seasons Total Landscaping to kind of show the trajectory <laughs> of his presidency. Um, they showed him... Uh, do you remember the couple from St. Louis who doing the during the Black Lives oh, yes, Matter yes. protest mm-hmm. came out with guns? They showed him with his face on the woman holding a gun saying, stop counting the votes. Um, so they picked up on that. Um, they mocked some of the states who were slow in counting the vote. Um, they showed somebody, a computer where somebody's playing solitaire, and the, the caption was, Nevada counting votes. Um, and interestingly, the ones I saw that related to um, the Biden side were often about Kamala Harris, because she is historically significant. And so... Um, I saw pictures of uh, the the major meme for the year, the winning meme, was how it started, how it's going. And sometimes that was varied by how it's ended. So there was one of those that showed how it started, a picture of John Adams, first VP, um, how it's going. Then there's Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, sorry. Yeah. that's uh, Any of those, uh, Lynn McNeil, stood out to you? Um, any of the, the how it started, how it's going memes, um, I mean, well, or the election memes in general. That The election memes in general were really tricky for us. The, the way the Digital Folklore Project works is we're putting the ballot together in late October, early November. Um, so in an election year, you can see the terrain is changing rapidly as we're putting the ballot together. And we were, I, I think it's fine to say, totally overwhelmed by the election memes because day by day, new things were coming out. I mean, memes spawned by the debates, memes spawned by the actual election, memes spawned by the, the recounts and things, lots of memes featuring the count from Sesame Street. Um, as the phrase, the count, became sort of this, this thing that people were talking about. And um, it, it shows how fast these things move, and it shows how... Um, how much we use them to express ourselves. There are memes that, that show basically the flipping of the states that originally looked like they were going to lean um, towards the Republican Party, towards reelecting Donald Trump, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, and then those states flipping to blue as more and more ballots are being counted. Um, and I really, I really think it's one of those things that, that we'll probably have a better perspective on the farther that we get away from it. But I think in the moment of memes like that really highlight why our winner was what it was. We needed a way to talk about this sort of rapid change in expectations that we've all been experiencing now and probably suffering extreme fatigue from for over a year. We, uh, If you just joined us, we're talking about the top digital trends of 2020. 
and uh, we are talking uh, with the co-directors of the USU Digital Folklore Project, which puts out this list. USU English professors Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil. Let's take uh, another break. When we come back, our last segment on the top digital trends of 2020. We'll also, at the end of the program, have the latest Dateline St. George commentary from our commentator, John Taylor. All that following this. Wouldn't it be a dream right about now to travel around the world and go to the best concerts you can find? To hear a shimmering traditional orchestra in Shanghai or an all-star performance of this Brahms concerto in Germany. I'm Fred Child. Join me to do just that. Recent concert highlights from around the world on the next Performance Today from APM. This evening at 9 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Hello, listeners. I'm Shireen Gorbani, Salt Lake County Councilwoman. Join us for both sides of the aisle. This is a weekly debate over politics, policy, and big issues facing the state of Utah, featuring voices on the right, in the center, and on the left. That's me. Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing the residents of this state. We prove that you can still put Republicans and Democrats in a small room and have meaningful dialogue. Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. We're talking about the top digital trends of 2020 on uh, Access Utah today. Uh, This is put out yearly by the USU Digital Folklore Project, and we're talking with co-directors, USU English professors Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil. Um, And so, um, Lynn McNeil, before the break, we we broached just a little bit the top digital trend. We might as well talk about that uh, now. Uh, Drumroll, I guess. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yes, drumroll, the winner of the 2020 Digital Trend of the Year was the How It Started, How It's Going meme, which we've already referenced and and spoiled for folks um, (laughs) earlier in this program. But it really came out as the trend that that in itself may not have, you know, it, it, it didn't have a set topic. It wasn't about the election. It wasn't about COVID-19. It was a framework that let us talk about those topics and more and really focus in on the idea that 2020 did not go the way we expected it to. Uh, so, uh, Jeannie Thomas, tell us about this. This um, I'm reading here um, that it didn't start uh, political, right? It didn't start uh, this it way. It didn't start that way at all. It started out with a a woman uh, a screenshot of a of a uh, DM conversation. She was basically <laughs> she was um, seducing someone she was interested in romantically or propositioning them, and and then it so it shows that how it started in that conversation, and then it shows a picture of her with her partner. So it started out a lot of romance. Um, look at my abs, look at how much better they got, <laughs> you know, that kind of self-improvement, home improvement. And then, of course, people started to um, kind of, again, make fun of, parody some of the ego involved in some of those posts. Um, but, you know, you, you'd see like a picture of a, a woman and her boyfriend and a cute uh, golden retriever puppy. That's how it started. Um, and then it would be either be how it's going or how it ended, um, which was another variant on that. Um, you'd see the woman, and the puppy is now a full-grown dog, and the boyfriend is gone. 
So it's just a woman and her puppy. Um, and then um, one thing we haven't really directly talked about, but it's sure underpinning all this, is COVID-19. And you start to see uh, COVID-19 really enter into this. And there was the ones that were sort of most moving to me emotionally were the ones about the medical professionals who I think have just had mm-hmm. such a brutal time of it and um, in some ways have been just really disregarded and just working their guts and their hearts out. And so um, the Internet, though, recognizes that and showed them. Like, So, for example, in this um, trend, there was a picture of a, a kind of a happy-looking nurse, you know, just a professional headshot. Um, that's how it started. How it's going, <coughs> same nurse looking like she's been run over by a truck, after her shift with all the mask marks etched into her face, you know, really showing you Mm -hmm. what this year has done to people, particularly what COVID-19 has done to people. Um, So you see that pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty serious side of of COVID-19 being depicted. So, uh, Lynn McNeil, I think people do do need this kind of uh, outlet, don't they, express themselves? Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, really, really, I mean, we have lots of ways these days to express ourselves. We have social media. Um, we have, you know, the traditional means of communication that we've always had, even even prior to the Internet. But one of the things that folklore does is it gives us this sense of joining in a communal conversation, a conversation that we have precedent. We can see other people have used these same forms, these same ideas, the how it started, how it's going meme. Other people have used to, to say these things. I'm going to use it to say my thing. And we clearly, when we see a trend take off like this one has, we kind of go, okay, we needed that. We needed a way to talk about a, a shift in expectations or an unexpected change. And, you know, tying into what Jeannie's saying about COVID, obviously, I mean, we would have had enough <laughs> to fill a ballot with just the election. We would have had enough to fill a ballot with just COVID. Um, we probably would have had enough to fill a ballot with just wildfires and, and things like that as well. But, but one of the things that we saw was just the incredible resilience of people being expressed through all of this as well. Um, a really traditional form of folklore, handcraft, people making their own masks, people sharing sewing patterns, people, you know, coming up with different ideas. Here's how to make a mask that fits different people. Here's how to make a mask that is comfortable to wear for, you know, hours while you have to be in a, in a particular indoor situation. Like all of the creativity and resourcefulness of, of human beings really shines in this. We, you know, on the ballot, was um, the trend of, you know, that how to wash your hands well. You need to do it for a certain period of time. A lot of the ways that people encourage that is by singing a certain song. Well, websites started cropping up where you could generate your own hand-washing poster with the lyrics of your choice, any song you want, any movie quotes that you want, um, that sort of parody that we're used to seeing, you know, here's how you need to do this, but but letting us you know, sort of have a little bit of fun with it as well. And so I think that in the midst of all the chaos and catastrophe, that that theme of resilience among everyday people, among our frontline workers, um, is, is really an important one as well. Uh, so, uh, Gene Thomas, we just have about five minutes left here. Uh, I want to make sure we uh, talk about the, the social trends. The, 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 that's the one half of this, right? And uh, so it's very yeah. serious issues, and those were responded to in digital trends. Yeah. Um, so this, the, um, like the, the 
the social issues are all the things like Lynn was just talking about with wash your lyrics. In fact, at one point when we were working on the ballot, Lynn was just like, it's all about hygiene. This, this entire year has been hygiene because there was so much stuff about that. Uh, but that's a social issue, making people aware of hygiene and what they what they need to do. Um, and in fact, um, that was a little bit, while it's still a, fu- a social issue and clearly a social issue, people were having fun with it. Um, so uh, the Warshire lyrics is a good example of that. I remember they were putting um, Shakespearean monologues like, um, you know, Lady Macbeth. Uh, talking about out out damned spots into the washer lyrics things and um in fact i um I remember in my class before we went into quarantine um one of the students was a former nurse, and she showed everyone in class what the infographic then later showed people how to do how to really thoroughly wash your hands and I couldn't believe we were all so enthralled with this in a folklore class, never had hand washing be a major fascinating topic for class discussion, but we were all just fixated on it, and we were all learning how to do it. And I went home and told my 21-year-old son, man, we learned this great way to wash our hands in class today. And he, as only a 21-year-old could be to his parent, was incredibly condescending, like, well, Mom, we learned that in grade school. And I was like, what? You learned that in grade school? And he said, yeah. There's apparently this um, lotion you can buy, and the lunch ladies and the chef at his school, the lunch ladies, got together, bought the kids this lotion, had them wash their hands, then they broke out a black light to show them all the places they missed so they would have clean hands. And I was like, wow, lunch ladies are awesome. Um, (laughs) So, you know, the Internet was educating us on how to be (laughs) clean and hygienic and how to really wash your hands well. And pro tip here, it's really around the fingernails that, that that germs seem to want to lurk. Mm. Um, in terms of other social issues, of course, Lynn had already talked about the continuation of the Black Lives Matters and the, hash- the memorial hashtags for Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, people who lost their lives and the Internet still saying, hey, we're- we haven't addressed this, we haven't addressed this. Um, nothing makes that probably more clear closer to home than what do I see in the Salt Lake Tribune recently, maybe just this weekend, that the headline was um, "Attorney Utah Attorney General is surprised at how many people were shot by police this year. So ongoing issue that the Internet's still bringing up. So we just have about uh, two or three minutes left. Uh, so I'll just do a quick hit, so starting with um, Lynn McNeil. Uh, without a whole lot of commentary, is there is there a digital trend that you'd just like to mention here at the end? Ma'am, you know, I think I think we've hit so many of them. The the one thing that I do want to say in this last minute that I just think is interesting, I was going back in my mind over what our winners have been, thinking about these two categories, the social issues versus serious fun. And, you know, technically the how it started, how it's going, we had categorized under serious fun because it, you know, it it, it didn't have a, a given theme of a particular social issue. The last time that a serious fun trend took first place was another election year, 2016, where we might have thought election memes would have won out, but instead it was the creepy clown phenomenon, if you remember that, you know, four years ago. And I think that's fairly telling, that just the the, the social and, and cultural and political uh, exhaustion that we all experience. These maybe we're seeing a, an even larger trend, you know, pulling back to more of a, a bird's eye view and seeing that these are the years that we really need um, outlets 
for us to less literally and perhaps more metaphorically or symbolically talk about our stresses. And just uh, about a minute left, uh, Jeannie Thomas, give you the last word. And uh, it, it looks like, as we talked about at the beginning of the program, we, we've got some, probably here in the first weeks of January, we've got some contenders maybe for 2021, a digital trend of the year. <laughs> Yeah, we've got, I mean, I'm sure those memes are going to, they're definitely ending up in the archive because Lynn and I are putting them there. But I think I'd like to leave your uh, your listeners with something a little more chill. And I'm going to give a shout out to one that's in our archive. Didn't make our top list, but really a neat trend. And it's twins, the new trend. And it's two African-American yes. twins from Gary, Indiana. And they grew up listening to rap and gospel music and hadn't heard anything else. They started a YouTube page where people post, um, music for them to listen to, and they put their reactions on it. And they decided to keep their reactions positive, but they're so... And they shoot it often in their bedroom. And early early on, you could see, you know, unmade beds, kind of college dorm feeling. It was like, you know, hanging out with your friends in college and listening to that really great song for the first time. Um, they broke it big uh, this summer with their reaction to Phil Collins' In the Air Tonight, the drum solo. But I love their... Um, them listening to Dolly Parton's Jolene and hitting the high notes with her on Jolene, singing along with her. Um, they're really expressive, they're really fun, and they're positive. And um, people love them. So it's that, it's that positive hit. We need, in, we need it in 2020, and we clearly still need it in 2021. Well, that's great. Yeah, yep. I've seen a few of those. Uh, I love their reaction to Pavarotti, for example. So, yeah, that's that's yeah. A, yeah. a great positive way to end this. Uh, well, uh, we've been talking about the uh, digital trends, top digital trends of 2020, and uh, and gave a preview for 2021 as well. Uh, this list is put out by the digital USU Digital Folklore Project. We've had the co-directors on with us, USU English professors Jeannie Thomas and Lynn McNeil. Uh, thanks to both of you. Thanks so much. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, we'll end the program, uh, as we do monthly, on uh, the, the second Monday, usually, um, with uh, Dateline St. George, a commentary from uh, commentator John Taylor. Something caught my eye as I climbed to my St. George mailbox. There, to the north, was a solitary hang glider swooping near the Red Cliffs National Conservation Area. With so much to see and so many mishaps to avoid, I wondered if the glider pilot paid much attention to the scorched hillsides. In July 2020, human-caused fires ravaged 20% of this hiker's paradise, killing who knows how many Mojave Desert tortoises and other species. I also wondered about the bigger picture for Red Cliffs, about a proposed east-west highway slicing through rust-colored, supposedly protected mesas, a road to facilitate the growth of homes and businesses. Red Cliffs is one big ring in southwest Utah's environmental bullseye. I accept part of the blame for creating the risk. I fled California's polluted air for St. George in 2018. The center of the bullseye is 15 miles east of downtown St. George at the Boaters Paradise of Sand Hollow State Park. Here is the possible terminus for a 140-mile, multi-billion dollar pipeline from Lake Powell, tapping the Colorado River to sustain southwest Utah's growth. The pipeline, sought by Washington County, pits Utahns against each other and against six other states and Mexico. 
Washington County is home to some 20 golf courses and a population expected to grow from 180,000 now to more than half a million by 2065. Water rates here are cheap and water usage is 300 gallons per person per day. That usage is dramatically higher and the rates dramatically lower than other Southwest cities, including Las Vegas, that have successfully adopted conservation measures to ease an already over-allocated Colorado River. Critics say there are alternatives to both the pipeline and the highway. I wonder if these big picture dilemmas could have been illustrated by the late environmental artists Christo and Jean-Claude, who temporarily wrapped fabrics around global landmarks and landscapes to give the public a fresh perspective. I am imagining 140 miles of rippling blue, blue cloth for the pipeline's route and a highway-sized trail of green-colored tortoise shells. Imagine the unimaginable. Consider saying goodbye to rare critters and geological masterpieces. If you want to bone up on the highway and the pipeline, one good place is the Conserve Southwest Utah website. Everyone should have skin in this game. For Dateline St. George, this is John Taylor wishing you a joyful day. L.A. Theater Works is the nation's leading producer of audio theater, providing public access to world classics, modern masterpieces, contemporary and original works that speak to the issues of our times. I'm Susan Lowenberg, founder and producing director of L.A. Theater Works, heard Friday evenings on Utah Public Radio. Join me for a special Access Utah program Thursday, January 14th at 7 p.m. to discuss the process of producing the LA Theatre Works National Broadcast Series. Together, we'll reflect on the impact of broadcasting theater during a time when attending a live performance is limited. And we'll talk about what it takes to turn a show designed for the stage into a unique theater experience on UPR. Join me Thursday, January 14th at 7 p.m. on Utah Public Radio. Details at upr.org. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan. Also heard at upr.org.